0: Listening to the teaching podcast of Praise Community Church in Mason City, Iowa. For more information about our church, please visit pracc So, um,
1: Down to Arkansas. So I'm going to just invite whoever's here. I know Todd's here and Jaden. I see Elizabeth. If there's any, other, there's a couple that could be here. So you just want to come on up. Todd, you don't have to come up if you don't want to, but I'm inviting you. And so, and so I'm just going to have, uh, Jaden's going to share just for a minute and tell us uh, what she thought about our trip, and then I'll let Elizabeth get two perspectives here, a sophomore in high school and, uh, and a college student. So before that, I'd say we went to Fayetteville, Arkansas, helped out a church called Thrive Church. And Thrive Church is a church plant two years old. And the, the, the gentleman there, Michael, who's the pastor, is uh, was college roommates with Pastor Nick Burgess, who's the associate pastor over at Grace. And so we got to go down there, and uh, we got to help them renovate their new church building. It was a Chuck E. Cheese they bought. So if God can renovate a Chuck E. Cheese, there's hope for all of us here today. So so we, we did some of that work. Uh, there was a, a teen crisis pregnancy center where... These girls were basically, uh, when they became pregnant and their parents found out, they basically were abandoned. And so we, we did a rummage sale, put a bunch of uh, materials together for that uh, and sold a bunch of that uh, stuff. And we actually sold these bags of uh, baby clothes, just five bucks a pop, and I think they made 700 bucks doing that. So it was amazing. And then I forget the name of the last place that you guys did your, uh, was it the House of Hope? I forget the last name. It was a place where there's, there's there's, there's adults that, are, that need extra help when they're out living on their own. They just, just don't have it all together. And so they, they go there and they help them and provide a service for them. So actually, Jaden and the girls and a couple guys uh, went over and they, they landscaped. Like. So they are available for hire, right, Jaden, for the summer? <laughs> and so, you know what? You're going to hear me preach today. So we'll just let Jaden, and if Todd has anything, uh, we'll let her just tell her what she thought about the trip.
2: Um, And like Mark said, our mission uh, to Arkansas was to go, and um, a lot of the time we were helping uh, build a new church called Thrive, and it was really a neat opportunity to go, and each of us were able to have a different task, and um, just working together, whether it was um, putting up drywall or pulling carpet or painting, it was really neat to um, have all of us come together to make an impact on Thrive Church. And um, another one of my favorite parts, some of the girls were able to stay with host families there. And so it was really a neat opportunity for me, um, something I've never really done before, to stay with um, a new family and just get to know them and learn more about them over the couple of days that we stayed there. And um, just meeting new people throughout the week (laughs) and um, just growing stronger relationships with the people that um, I went with. And just being able to work together with them to make an impact on the church and just um, share the love of Christ with everybody that we met. And um, that was just really a neat opportunity that I'll always remember and just spiritually how much I grew in um, my walk with the Lord. And um, just the impact that all of us had coming together and um, the impact that it'll have on the many people in the future that we don't even know about who come into Thrive Church.
3: Um, hi, I'm Elizabeth Campbell. And um, last minute this summer, Pastor Mark asked me to go on this trip. And I didn't think I was going to be able to, but God spoke to me and I was able to go. And so it was such a blessing. Just as she said, we had so many opportunities to serve and just pour into places that have so much more potential. As she said, like Thrive Church, um, I know they've grown so much. And them moving, they're going to be able to grow so much more. And um, the trip came at such a wonderful time, I'm, I'm back in college right now, so um, right beforehand I was just kind of feeling drained, I'm kind of ready to be done with college, I graduate in December, and God just showed me, you know, if you want to be restored and if you want that, I'm always right here, and so it was just such a wonderful time and God really restored so many things and just refreshed me for the school year to start. And I just had so much fun with all of the girls, especially. I think I laughed more than I have for a long time. They were just really funny, and we had a lot of funny, interesting experiences. Um, And then just to be able to see a lot of the little kids that are going to be at Thrive Church and to be able to pour into them was so neat. There's so many awesome kids there right now, and I don't know. That was just a wonderful time as well. And one more thing, as she mentioned, um, the host families were incredible. Um, Shannon, another college student that went, um, we both had the opportunity to stay with this host family that poured into us night after night, and they had so many awesome stories to share about their faith and the journey God's taken them on, and it really came at a timely time in both of our lives, so it was just such a wonderful experience, and we're, we're so thankful for all of your prayers
0: Well, I honestly didn't know Mark was going to put me up here today, so I'll uh, just go off the top here. But restoration. (laughs) Restoration in so many ways, from restoring that church and starting something new for them to restoring relationships and just being with these kids. I'm a sixth grade teacher, and I have three daughters of my own, so I don't get a lot of chance to hang out with high school boys. (laughs) Uh, That was quite an experience because the boys and the pastors, all of us stayed at the church. So we uh, spent many late nights up with the high school boys talking about different viewpoints and their music choices and so forth. So, <laughs> But honestly, it restored me because it led me into this year helping Mark and uh, Nick Burgess, the other youth pastor, um, on Wednesday nights. Now, it's just a restoration for me that i it's given me... Uh, I came back from there, and I wasn't quite sure if I wanted to even go or not, but I went for this little girl. For, that was my first reason. I... But then I came to find out it was so much more than that. I'll never forget the opportunity to spend it with her, but just the opportunity, the relationships we made with the people down there, the seeds we planted that, like she mentioned, we'll never even realize the seeds that were planted during this trip, but um, down the road there will be so many people affected by this. But to take a group of high school boys and girls that... um, I didn't ride on the bus. We took two vehicles. We took the foundry bus where most of the kids rode on, which... Uh, I rode in the van. I think it was a little quieter environment Mm -hmm. in the van. So I wasn't quite sure what to expect on the bus, but I didn't have to do the bus thing. But um, these guys were amazing. We got down there, and we looked at this church, and was like, holy cow, what did we get ourselves into here? And during the course of the five or six days we were there, the transformation from where we started to where we left, they were blown away by what we accomplished. And a lot of these kids just came in probably not knowing what to expect, but they put their hearts, their soul, their mind, their physical effort into it, and um, the transformation was amazing. So I had a wonderful time, restoration, transformation, just relationships, and these guys were, they, they called their devotionals at night, their devos. Well, if you're from my age, Devo was a music group. <laughs> so the first day, we're like, let's go, do Devo, or let's go do our Devo. I'm like, what are they talking about? <laughs> That was some of the most amazing time, and some of the high school kids were asked to be the leaders of a devotional each night. These guys blew me away. I mean, from where they're at in their walk to where they've come, and just, um, when you have 20 or so high school kids along with us sitting around listening to these kids, and just, we all know, they're going through a lot of things. In this day and age, these kids are faced with so many challenges every single day, and they were amazing just to see what we have coming up, and here's two of them right here, but there were a lot more that were with us, and they're, they're uh, going to lead our future, I know, in great ways through different things they do in their schools and beyond that. So thanks for your support. It was a wonderful trip, and um, I think I'm ready to go back next year. So All thanks, right. you guys.
1: Thanks, Todd. It was amazing. And the last... The last? I want to tell you another good story that happened there before I, I start here. Um, we were there, uh, and we're all at a restaurant, and there was probably 30 people there, Todd, at the restaurant. I got a phone call that says my buddy Stan's been in an accident. And so we all joined hands there. We prayed for the meal, and then we all got together, and we prayed for Stan. It was just amazing. It was just another testament of the power of prayer because we sat together and we prayed for We've prayed for everybody in this church, but there's a couple of people this summer, Dave Brant and Stan, that we've really needed some strong prayer, and the Lord showed up, and uh, I see them both sitting here today, is, <laughs> thank you, Jesus. So, <laughs> Well, as you know, sometimes I like to come up with some really spiritual uh, analogies, so my first question for you today that you need to ponder is this. Have you ever been a moose in a parking lot? How long do you want me to wait for the awkward silence, Jason? <laughs> Think about that. Why is that moose in the parking lot? Doesn't even look like he's supposed to be there? How did he get there? It's pretty much he's lost, right? I don't know how I came up with this analogy, but I'll tell you the story about growing up in Canada when I was in elementary school and I was with my cousin and my aunt. And we're at the Market Mall parking lot in the middle of Calgary, Alberta, where I grew up. City of a million people. But 30 miles from the city, from 30 miles from this parking lot, is the Rocky Mountains foothills. And then about another 45 minutes, another hour, you're in the mountains. And so we have the Bow River that runs through uh, Calgary. And what, I'm underst- what I believe is this, this moose just headed down the river. And he's eaten and he's joined the spoils of nature sometimes we... We like to do that, right? We just move along, and we're just enjoying what's going on in life. And also, he picks his head up, and he's in the Market Mall parking lot. And he just starts booking. And I'm I'm telling you, I'm sitting with my aunt and my cousin in the car, and we're just sitting at the one little intersection, if you could call it, in the mall. And this moose is full tilt down the whole mall, just flying. He's lost. He's panicked, right? And so my question for you, and to tie it into you, is have you ever felt like you've Gone along pretty good, and then when you lifted your head, thought to yourself, How did I get here? Why am I here? What happened along the way? See, it probably boils down to who or what we're following. What looks good? That moose is eating grass, he's drinking the water, he's having a good old time scratching his antlers on the tree, and all of a sudden he realizes, I'm not where I'm supposed to be. I got off somewhere wrong, and now I'm stuck, and how do I get out of here? And he panics. I like what it says in Hebrews twelve too. Pretty simple. It says, "Looking unto Jesus, the Author and Finisher of our faith." He's the front and back. He's the top and the bottom. If Jesus is the book, the top, if He wrote the book, the Author and the Finisher, you're in the middle. You're encapsulated in His book. So you see, if you don't have a plan, how many times we tell our kids, "You got to have a plan. Got to have a focus." You gotta get your route mapped out right before you head off on a trip. You just, you don't have all these things. You just bump along, and things look good for a while sometimes. And eventually, we get to a point sometimes where we realize we're lost. And it's no different with us Christians in the real world. We can follow along with, uh, we can follow things that are not of God, but we can also follow along things that are okay. They're not necessarily evil, but we put them first place in our life. And then we find ourselves lost or, or in a mess. It's not always things of the enemy, the devil, that these super evil things that cause us to be lost. I think sometimes as Christians we just think, I'm okay because I'm not carrying around something crazy like that person. You can just get caught up in the things of the world, the good things, whether it's your job, whether it's your sports, it might even be your family at times. And we put all our focus into that and we take our focus off of Jesus you find yourselves lost, and a lot of times the people that we are trying to help out, and whether it's our kids or people at work, they find themselves lost too. And so we got to we got to refocus. Joshua 24:15 tells us this: Choose whom you will serve. He says, Choose who you will who you're going to follow. Choose them. You have a choice. Father God has given us a choice since the garden. To choose him. Here's your everything. Eat from this. Utilize it. Don't do this. And we can see that from time beginning. How people have had a choice. He goes on to say, this house will serve the Lord. He says, this house will follow the Lord. See, God in all his love and mercy and grace has given us a choice to follow him. But what really I wrote down here was... He's given us a chance to partner with him. We don't think that sometimes, that we get to partner with Christ in the kingdom of heaven. We think it's all hard and it's uphill battle. But Jesus says, no, I'm going to give you a chance to, to partner with me. And one of the greatest phrases in all the Bible to me is simply two words, follow me. God has planned a life for us. Jesus said a multiple, multiple times to multiple people from multiple walks of life, if you read the Gospels follow me. Rich people, tax collectors, fishermen. He told everybody that he came across to follow him. And it is the Holy Spirit in you that will remind you of who you are, what path you should be on, and his grace and mercy, his grace and mercy, not his wrath and destruction, his grace and mercy is going to give you the ability to find his path to change direction. That's what I love about Father God. He's loving kindness. I'm going to talk about that. Anytime you use that word God and you see him in your life, just put God who is loving kindness. Put that in there. changes it, doesn't it? As a Christian, we're little Christs. You ever thought about that? We're little gods. We're little Jesus in the world. A follower of Christ shouldn't be sitting in the stands watching the game. He is in the game. He's representing God. You look like Jesus, and you're to be Jesus in the world. Does that sound like a lot of pressure for some of you guys? I take that challenge, because you know what? There's times in my life where I'm not in the game. I'm not representing God. certainly don't look like Jesus, and and I'm not always Jesus in the world. And you know what? That's probably not the best thing for me, but you know what? Father God's not mad at me. He's giving me an opportunity to be those things because he lives on the inside of me. Here's another thing to consider. Maybe some of you, maybe some of us, maybe me at times, we've just become fans of Christ. Think about that. And we're not followers. We still can be born again. We can still believe to Jesus, Lord of our life, that he came and died on the cross and rose and ascended. We can still believe all those things. But sometimes we confuse being a follower of Christ, following after him. Come follow me, he said. And we sit in the bleachers and we cheer for Jesus. We sit in the church and we cheer for Jesus. And we're just fans of Christ. See, you recently read this book called Not a Fan. Shameless plug. And I got it out there on the, I have it out there on the table. And it's a great book. And this is the book that I'm going to use this year for middle school and high school, fifth grade through twelfth grade. We're not going to read the book. We're going to take some snippets from it. And we're going to study this book. And what the challenge of this book for me was, and what I'm going to challenge all these kids, and what I challenge you too as well is, is to just step out back and just say to yourself, am I following Jesus like the way he called us to follow? Or are we sitting in the stands and we're just being fans? It's not something to bum you out or say, man, I really missed it. It's just an opportunity to say, Am I doing this the way Christ called me to do it? See, as a believer, if you love the world, if you love the world with an L more than you love the word, we call that a carnal Christian. And you tend to follow after the things of the world, and you cling to those things. And you may just be a fan sometimes who enjoys the message, and that's it, and you leave it there. So this is a chance, like I said, for all of us, me included, to step back and see what kind of relationship... We truly have with Christ is it the relationship that he called us to have with him that's a great challenge that's an amazing challenge just to be able to step back and say father God in your love and your grace and your mercy show me where I'm missing it and he will show you and he'll show you with compassion and mercy and grace it's never bad to ask God the question where am I missing it what more can I do don't be afraid to go to him in prayer and ask these things. So if you're born again, you've been, you've, invited, you've been invited to join the kingdom of heaven, you have the opportunity to follow the king of kings. You have the opportunity to follow the Lord of the lords. You have the opportunity to live your life from that place of victory. And you get to invite the Holy Spirit to rule your life. Isn't that great? But you also, but you also have the opportunity just to be part of life. You who also have the opportunity to be just a fan of Jesus. And when we're just a fan of Jesus, it'll lead us to places God never intended. Sometimes we think or people I've heard people say is like, "Well, God led me here." And I'm like, looking at your life, I'm like, "There's no way that God led you here. God probably told you a zillion times, turn around." We can't blame God for destruction in our life. We can praise God as we go through destruction in our life, what Todd talked about, restoration. God's in the restoration business. He's in the construction business. The only only destruction business is is he's going to destroy your old sin nature and he's going to fill it with the new nature of Jesus. That sin nature that you had before you were born again, it's completely gone. You now have the nature of Jesus Christ on the inside of you. Now if you mess up and you sin and you make mistakes, that's not your nature anymore. It says so many scriptures that you have the same spirit that raised Christ from the dead inside you. And that nature is perfect. So if you've been bumping around, you've been just a fan, you feel like you're a moose in a parking lot, it's okay. Father God wants to restore you to where he has planned for you from a long time ago. One chapter in this book, and I just wrote it down because I'm not going to get too much into the book, one chapter says this is Jesus. One of many, or the one and only? Ow. Man, did I sit down and just think about that? Start listing the things out in my life like, Jesus, you are my one and only. But I got all these other things that I got to do. And I got to make sure that I put them in there with you, you know? And when you realize that God is, and Jesus and the Holy Spirit are your one and only, you're your many things. Will start to dwindle. They will. And those things that you have to do, like you gotta go, you gotta be a dentist, you gotta go teach, you gotta do whatever you gotta do. He will put his super on your natural because you line them up. That's what God does, that's what Jesus does. He'll take those things that maybe you've struggled with because you're trying to do it on your own strength, and he will add his super to your natural, and you'll do them even better. And they won't be so stressful, and they'll be joyful. And when things go wrong during your work day or your, your day at with home with the kids, you'll be able to look back and say, you know what, that wasn't so bad. It's going to happen. Luke 9, 57-62 says this in the New Living Translation. And in my Bible, this is the heading it had before there. It said, the cost of following Jesus. Have you ever counted the cost? It says this, as they were walking along, someone said to Jesus, I will follow you wherever you go. But Jesus Jesus replied, foxes have dens to live in, And birds have nests, but the Son of Man has no place even to lay his head. What's Jesus saying to him? You okay with being homeless and on the road? You okay with that? Because that's who I am right now. He says, He said to another person, Come follow me. The man agreed. He's like, Yeah, that sounds like a good idea, Jesus. I'm gonna come follow you. But hang on a second. First, let me return home and bury my father. He didn't want to rock the boat at home, basically what he's saying. But Jesus told him, let the spiritually dead bury their own dead. Your duty is to go and preach about the kingdom of heaven. Basically, Jesus was telling this guy who didn't want to rock the boat to get out of the boat and leave it behind. Another said, yes, Lord, I will follow you. But first let me say goodbye to my family. But Jesus told him, anyone who puts a hand to the plow and then looks back is not fit for the kingdom of God. He says, don't look back. What happens when you look back at your old life? The things that you're trying to, to move away from, you get sucked back in. He says, put your eyes on me. Focus on the cross. So a good question to ask ourselves is what has Christ cost us when we decided to follow him? I can think of 20 things and not one of them that it cost me was bad. There's people out there in my life, family and friends, who we don't have the same relationship I had before, but I can't worry about that because my relationship with Christ is strong and I pray and I hope and I know that one day that they will be following Christ alongside of me. That's the only thing I can hope for. I'm not saying here if you're a father of three people and married that you just come to me tomorrow and say, you know what, God's calling me just to leave my family. That's not what he's saying. It's not what he's saying. But he's saying there's some people here that your families are keeping you down. They're keeping you from a relationship with Christ. And if you need that explained to you outside these walls there's probably a few people in here that can help you through that. It's not going to be easy all the time following Christ, but he'll give you joy and peace through the process. That's what he does. So what does Christ cost you? It's a good barometer. If he hasn't cost you anything, if it's just all hunky-dory all the time, then maybe we should check what our relationship looks like. I like what it says in Luke 14, 26 in the Message Bible. It says this, and I circled this first word, anyone being anyone who comes to me but refuses to let go of father, mother, spouse, children, brothers, sisters, yes, even one's own self, can't be my disciple. I laid out the buttery one first there for you. It's a nice way of putting it, isn't it? How many know where this one goes, although when you look at it in the New King James or the King James Version, it says, if anyone comes to me and does not hate his father and mother and wife and children and brothers and sisters, yes, even his own life also, he cannot be my disciple. That's pretty strong words, harsh talk, from, harsh talk from Jesus. Was it not? Now, if we all sit here, we understand that Jesus would never teach anyone to hate anybody, in the sense that it's the opposite of love. But what was he saying? He's saying you're putting a bunch of you're putting so many things ahead of my relationship with me, your relationship with me. He's saying you're putting all these things ahead of me. And so to to really hit home, to nail it down, he's like, look, you have to hate everything. And love me first. Jesus challenged, looks like he offended the religious leaders a few times. He called people out. That's what he did. You want a question? You want to ask him something? He's going to give you an answer. I know Jesus never preached hatred for people, but he hated religion and he hated what it did to people. How many people here, you don't have to raise your hand, have been sucked into religion? And now you're free because you have a relationship with Christ. Jesus, Jesus disliked apathy and he loved those who left the world and followed after him. I love that. He took care of his people. And he was firm on things that kept people from following his lead and life for us. He said, follow me. And what else did he say after he followed me to some of these people? He rebuked their excuses. There's no excuse, he says. Follow me. And it was still and it was and still Jesus' love for us that allows us to love for him. When you say I'm going to follow you, he's going to make it happen. He's going, to, he's going to put you on the right path. He's going to surround you with the right people. That's what Christ in a relationship with him does. That's what the word will tell us. Matthew 4, 18-22 is probably one of the most famous scriptures here when he talks about calling people to follow him. And it says, Jesus was walking by the Sea of Galilee. saw two brothers, Simon called Peter and Andrew's brother, casting the net into the sea. For they were fishermen. Then he said to them, follow me. Follow me, he says, and I will make you fishers and men. And what happened? They immediately left their nets and followed him. And going on from there, he saw two brothers, James, the son of, son of Zebedee, and John, his brother, in the boat with Zebedee, their father, mending their nets. And he called them and said, he called them and immediately left the boat and their father and followed him. I'm pretty sure that these guys, and I think there's a scripture and I can't remember it off the top of my head, where they'd, they'd known Jesus before. They'd met him. And so, but still the impact is that what I, what, I, what I see there is like, they use the name boat. They use the name nets. They use the word father. They even named Zebedee two times in there. Why? It's for emphasis. They're giving up their boat. They're giving up their nets. He's had to move away from their family. They have to take those natural, those things that have kept them in their comfort zone their whole life and Jesus says, come with me. Come follow me immediately. And Jesus doesn't do that so that we miss out on a bunch of stuff. He does these things so that we prioritize and put our jobs and put our families and put everything in the right perspective. If you're following Christ and you're going after him and you're filled with the Holy Spirit and and you find out what the word says about you, your family is going to be in a good place. But if you're trying to just do your family, do your family, do your family, do your work, do your work, do your work, and then when I get time, I'm going to, I'm going to find some time for God later. Man, you get your rope in a lot of knots. I know, I have, I have kids, and, and, and one of them is a pastor, and she calls. She's like, Ha! Ah. And I try to tell her, you've been in the Word today. No, I'm waiting until later. Well, just get in the Word. Kids will scream for five minutes. Get in the word. They're going to scream for the next 18 years, so might as well get used to it. <laughs> so it says this in Luke 9.23 in the New King James. And then he said to them, I'm going to read four scriptures here for you, and I'm going to pick out a few spots. It's the same scripture, different translation. Luke 9.23, I love it. Then he said to them, if anyone desires to come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. Deny himself. The New Living Translation puts it this way. Then he said to the crowd, if any of you wants to be my follower, you must turn from your selfish ways. There. There he's getting to the bottom of the thing, isn't he? It has nothing to do with family or jobs or anything. He says you've got to turn from your selfish ways. We're more consumed about how we look instead of just releasing it all to Christ. The Message Version says it this way, the translation. Then he told them what they could expect for themselves. Anyone who tends to come with me has to let me lead. You're not in the driver's seat, I am. That's a battle between me and my wife when we go on a trip all the time, right there. She should just take the wheel. We should have two wheels like we're in a driver's ed class. And neither of us is any less guilty when it comes to that. But he says, you need to let me lead. You take, you take the pastor's seat. The Living Bible says it this way, anyone who wants to follow me must put aside his own desires, and convenience. Carry his cross with him every day and keep close to me, exclamation point. Keep close to Christ. How do we do that? Following Jesus says we need to give up control of our lives. He was saying, I want a relationship with you, but you got to join yourself to me. That's what Christ is saying. He says, you need to make a decision. He says, you need to join my team. For lack of better terms, he says, you better just get in the game. I like what he told Zacchaeus in the tree. The little wee old man, remember him? I was just singing a song with my granddaughter yesterday. She was on TV the other day, and I was just singing away with her, and she, her and I were dancing. It was awesome. I'm not going to do it today. <laughs> but here's the thing, and it's recorded in Luke 19. There's two great stories recorded in Luke 19. Zacchaeus and the rich young ruler. Polar opposites, when you think about it. Polar opposites to me. He told them, he said, come down from the tree. Let's go to your place and have lunch. And Zacchaeus could have climbed higher. He could have went away from Christ, but he followed him out of that tree today. Out of that tree that day. And he followed him into a brand new life. And let's see what happened to him. He was a non-Christian who became a Christian, who on one day got his family saved. He gave back what he stole, and he blessed uh, others. It says four times as much as what he'd taken. This is a newborn Christian. Sometimes we 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 label people baby Christians. Oh, they're just a baby Christian. I'm like, man, there's baby Christian, they've been here longer than I have. So let's not put labels on people. Carnal thinking, following after the world more than you follow after Christ, does not equal being a baby Christian. Zacchaeus was a baby Christian. He was a newborn. And he went after it. He was transformed immediately. The rich young ruler, what did he do? He said, what do I need to do to follow you? have eternal life and what did jesus say gave him an answer so this is what the rich young ruler says he's, he asked probing questions what's it look like what's going to cost me he danced around a few laws yeah i've done some of these things pretty good but what happened he chose himself he chose his own status and you know what the real thing that he's probably went away sad for he chose everlasting death he didn't choose everlasting life he didn't choose the kingdom of heaven there on earth and that's the thing sometimes we think about with the rich young rulers. People are like, you can't have any money to be in the kingdom? No. If all the Christians who were tithers had all the money in the world, we would do amazing things. There would be things ac- across this world and in our own state, in our own country, that would be eradicated. Poverty, sickness, all these things. Because if we had the money and we were all tilers. So money is a good thing. Jesus wasn't saying money is a bad thing at this particular time. He says he chose, he chose to follow his money. You know, we have people weekly, you know, I see other pastors who call our church saying, I don't have any money, can you help me? So money's important. But the rich young ruler had a, his perspectives wrong. So he had it reversed. He had Jesus and God over here in a box and he has money and his possessions over here in a bigger box. They can coexist, but you've got to put them in the right order. And I really believe if you allow yourself to give to the kingdom of God, and you say, you know what, Father God, that's why we do offering, and, and, and Jim prays for it, because we're saying, this is yours. My money, my wealth, my possessions are all yours. So I'm super comfortable giving a portion of to you. And believe me, if the rich young ruler would have just given everything right there, I believe God would have, and Jesus would have superabounded him. It would have been crazy. But he didn't have the opportunity. He went away sad. He was a fan of Christ, but he wasn't willing to count the cost and follow him. So count the cost. What's it going to cost you? It's all good. He doesn't lead you into destruction, restoration, construction. Whatever you need in your life. If you've never made Jesus Lord of your life, you're in the first phase. You're in construction. For the vast majority of us here, it's an ongoing restoration period. It's knocking down walls and putting up sheetrock. It's pulling up carpet and laying new down. God is in the restoration business, and that's what people forget. They only think that he's in a one-time construction business, and once you blow it, the building's condemned, and we knock it down. Not true. He's in the restoration business. And if I look out here and I see the faces of the people that I know and love in this church, I see so much restoration that's gone on over here in the last 13 years. He's in the restoration business. Don't deny him. Follow him. He said to deny yourself. Kill off your flesh. How do you do that with the help of the Holy Spirit? What else did he say? He said, take up your cross. What is your cross? What does that look like? I believe what he's trying to say is there, and if you look throughout the New Testament, that he says we've already been crucified with Christ. So your cross isn't that you have a sickness or disease that you've got to just bear up for the rest of your life. Because he took sickness and disease at the cross. The cross is finding out in the, in the word and following Jesus. Follow after him. It says this in Galatians 2.20. If we go to that, that slide there, I think it's up there somewhere. What's it say in Galatians 2.20? My old self has been crucified with Christ. You've been nailed to the cross. Galatians 5.24. Those of us who have belonged to Christ have nailed our sinful old selves on his cross. Our sinful desires are now dead. There's that sin nature. It's dead and gone. You'll still make mistakes. Up here still wants to sin. Right here still wants to sin. But your born-again spirit is perfect. And that's what is your new nature. Romans 6.6 6 says this. We know that our old life, our old sinful self was nailed to the cross with Christ, and so the power of sin that, that has held us was destroyed. Sin is no longer our boss. I like that. You got a boss that just bugs you? Well, it's sin in this case. It's no longer our boss. Who's our boss now? It's Jesus Christ. Jesus has way more power over sin and sickness and disease than you can ever imagine. The thing it goes on to say in Ephesians 4, I don't know if I have that one, Sophia, ah, put away the old person you used to be having nothing to do with your old sinful life. It was sinful because of being fooled into des- following bad desires. Have you ever been fooled into following something bad? Looks good on the surface, right? Then in the end, it doesn't look good. So are you a follower of Christ? Follower means you follow. You go where the leader takes you. You make a commitment and you head out. It's easy to be a to come to church and get all jazzed up and come up to the front and say, you know what, I give my life to the Lord, and then we just sit in the bleachers the rest of the life, thinking, what's, why hasn't anything happened? Why is anything different? He's called you out of the boat. He called you, the Holy Spirit, to confess Jesus, Lord. He put on your heart to call out to Him, and He'll put on your heart more and more to keep calling out to Him. It's a different thing. Salvation's a one-time thing, but we should be calling out to the Lord daily. We should be filled with the Holy Spirit daily. That's a one-time event. In Acts two, they were baptized in the Holy Spirit. They were filled, and they preached the word with boldness. And they went out, and three thousand people came to know Christ that day. But it does not. It say later in Acts that they were filled again. Wasn't that the tongues of fire came down on them again? That'd be awesome. I'm in for that if that wants to happen every day. But it didn't have to happen. They were just saying, "Fill me again, fill me up, Holy Spirit." That's following after Christ right there. Many fans have attempted to follow Jesus for a while from a distance or up to a point. Been there, done that. I got this Jesus thing. I'm going to heaven. I'm saved. I'll just keep my Praise Community Church Sunday morning stuff over here, and I'll just keep doing what I want to do over here. And eventually, it's a big cataclysmic boom in my life. You know, it doesn't work. You can't. Portion things out. It's all or nothing. Did not Jesus say, "Hot or cold, all in"? you may as well be all out. He's patient and kind. When you're not all in, when you're a fan in the stands and you're just watching, it's okay with him because he's got a plan for you. But when you're wrestling and you're hurting, he's going to say, "You know what? There's more for you." But you got to ask. God's okay with us when we make mistakes. He loves us. He wants better for us. He's not up there just smacking his forehead all the time and going, that crazy Jim. He's at it again. You know? When's he ever going to learn? What a knucklehead. I got more here, Jim. <laughs> <laughs> you know? I wasn't talking about it. I was talking about the other Jim here today. John 6.26 says this. The truth of the matter is that you want to be with me because I fed you not because you believe in me. Do You know where Jesus said that? It's right after he fed the multitudes They went to the other side of the lake and they came after him. And he says, you're not here because you want to be a follower of me. You're here because you know I'll feed you. Sometimes we, we try to follow after Christ for what we can get out of him. And we forget what he's already done for us. And when we realize that, he'll do more things. Because we know that our world has patterned us to wrong thinking. One thing that I wrote down here I thought was really good for my own Spirit, and maybe for you too, it says this. We are reminded to make sure, this is what the world will tell us, we're reminded to make sure we got a backup plan and quickly retreat to it upon the first sign of trouble. Don't give in. Don't compromise. I see too many people get married nowadays because they feel like they're going to be left alone and they they compromise and they, they pick someone that Christ hasn't picked for them. God has got the perfect mate for you. I look at girls over here going to college or in high school and I see them here and young men and women, and maybe you've been divorced and you want to be married again, God, following after him, is going to line you up with the perfect person. So don't compromise. Don't sell for second, third, fourth, fifth best. That other person that that might be perfect for somebody else, but Father God has got the right person for you. He had high demands. Did he not, Jesus? What else did he say? my yoke is easy, my burden is light. His demands are high, but his yoke is easy and his burden is light. That's the only person I know in the whole world that can honestly say that to us and be the truth. Because every other person that you want to follow in life, whether it's work or family, there's always something attached to it. Jesus just says, follow me. Follow me. He says, you need to deny yourself and don't retreat. There's somebody here today that you're ready to give up. You're ready just to bail out and head out of this town. But I just want you to know that your breakthrough is right there. It's just around the corner. You've been fighting. You've been contending. You've had people praying for you. Stick to it. Stick to the game plan. Your breakthrough is just around the corner. You know what's another great thing? Your breakthroughs are just around the corner. Once you get your first breakthrough or your second breakthrough, it's just not done with you. He's got a ton of breakthroughs for you. Stick with Christ. Don't retreat. If you're one of those people that's about ready to give up, don't. Don't give up. If your family's a mess, go to Jesus. If your life's a mess and you're looking for a job, go to Christ and ask Him for His wisdom, His supernatural wisdom that He's downloaded in you through the Holy Spirit. And don't give up. Don't give in. There's no reason to right now. It's too critical. What's the great thing He told Peter to do? Get out of the boat. And what's the words when when Peter said, can I come onto the water? What did Jesus say? One word, come. That's what he's telling you today, come. But then you look down in your life and you're like, there's white calves. There's a 40-mile-an-hour wind. I could probably die here. And Jesus is telling you, come. He's not going to sink you. He's not going to drown you. And what happens to Peter there? He gets in the water and he's like, yeah, I'm, this is awesome. Ah, look at the situations and the circumstances in my life are too overwhelming. I have fear now and look at me, I'm sinking. And Jesus does say two great things to him. Or one great thing to him, he says, you have so little faith, he says to him. Which if you look at, yeah, sometimes we our faith shrinks a little bit. In the aspect that we think that can God really do this for me? But what does He do to me? He picks him up, puts him in the boat, and calms the storm. Once again, even in your lack of faith, even in your fear, He still shows up for you and calms the storm. That's what I love about Christ. Acts 1 tells us this it tells us about the promise of the Holy Spirit, and the rest of Acts shows us what God can do with spirit filled followers. There's a reason why Jesus went away. And I always think back to these guys who didn't follow Christ. This will be my last thing here, Jason. There was people who had a chance to follow Christ when he said, come follow me, and they bailed. There was other ones where Jesus said, come follow me, and they followed. And then he started preaching hard messages about, if you're going to follow me, you've got to eat my flesh, you've got to drink my blood. And it says they deserted him. So then Jesus dies, and he comes back, and he's about to ascend into heaven. And he says, you need to go wait for me. I'm going to send you the comforter, the Holy Spirit. So in Acts 2, we see the Holy Spirit drop on him. right? How many people were in the upper room that day? Does anyone remember what it says? Is it 125, does it say? I could be wrong. I could just make that number up, but you guys aren't. Look like I'm out of. 120. 120. So think about it. There's 120 people. All these people following Jesus, come follow me, he said. All these different commands. And then they start bailing on him. Even his own friends and disciples, right? He gets them back together, a, a, a certain group of people, 125. And he, they go up to the upper room. The Holy Spirit drops on them. They go out and preach the word with boldness. 3,000 people get saved that day. This is, this is my thought. How many of those 3,000 were the people that bailed on him, gave him excuses why they couldn't follow him? It's because the Holy Spirit was the new thing now. It was the new person that was coming to live on the inside of him. And when the Holy Spirit comes and lives on the inside of you, you don't have to be fearful. You don't have to bail when the pressure's on, when someone says, are you a Christian, Do you follow Jesus, all that Bible stuff. You don't have to say, uh, no, 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 it's okay. You can say, yeah. The last story here is Stephen, who was martyred, stoned, beaten, and killed for his life. And when he's, when he's there, he's... About ready to die. He he sees Jesus and he says to them, Forgive them. And he's taken into heaven. That's the power of the Holy Spirit. That's the power of God. Maybe some of you today that are here are going to be in a position in your life where you're going to go overseas and be a missionary and there'll be an opportunity to choose life and death for following Christ. For the rest of us, we got it pretty easy here, do we not? We got it pretty easy. So my last thing for you today is this. Just remember, when things are tough, things aren't going well, stick with the one who's going to get you through. Jesus came and he died. He rose again. He ascended in heaven so that you could have a relationship with him. When you have a relationship with somebody, you spend time with them. You even follow them sometimes. When they say, you know what, I got something planned for us, you like, I'll go with you. Jesus first in your life. If you've never asked Jesus to be Lord of your life, I'm going to give you an opportunity today. I'm going, to, I'm going to be up here with praying with Jim and some other people. And if you want to come up and you want to give your life to Christ, you want to say, I'm sick of this life. I want to follow you, Christ. We'll give you an opportunity to pray through a prayer with some of the prayer people up here. If you're one of those people that has come and gone, come up for prayer. We'll give you an opportunity just to say, you know what? I want to rededicate myself. We'll pray for you. Another great thing is if you're one of those people that's on fire for God right now and you want some prayer to say, I want more, we'll pray for you too. So basically, anybody here should come up for prayer if you want. (laughs) Amen. Father God, we just thank you so much for everybody here today. Father, we thank you that you have called us out of darkness into light. Father, I thank you that there's people here today that you've called to step out of the boat and they've been sitting there scared and alone and cold and wet and Father God right now you're just giving them a new revelation a new vision Father God as they step out of that boat they know that you have them and as they choose to follow you and they ask that Holy Spirit to dwell in their lives and to and to, to give them directions that you just show up mightily Father God so we thank you that you're breaking off shame you're breaking off guilt you're breaking off fear you're breaking off condemnation anything that people have used as an excuse Or to hamper their walk with you, Father God, I want you to know right now it's gone in Jesus' name. You are clean, you're whole, you're blood-bought, you're a child. You can live in this kingdom alongside Christ. And as you come forward today, if you need prayer, you come forward. You come bold with joy. And he'll meet you where you're at, in Jesus' name. Amen.